It's good to see you. As we start, can you, let's do this. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. We're going to begin um, with what we ended with last week. Last week was our first week to where we're going through um, for the um, for the year, something called the New City Catechism. It's just a series of questions and answers, just essentials of our faith. And so this is a teaching tool. So we are in week two this week. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read this question, and the answer is going to be on the screen. And so say uh, as it's on the screen, say this out loud, the answer. So the question for week two is this. What is God? What is God? And the answer, can we say this? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. Psalm 86, verses 8 through 10 and verse 15, it says this, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. In verse 15, say this out loud with me. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. With these next few songs, let us sing and celebrate the steadfast love, the faithfulness, the sovereignty, the power of our God, that nothing happens except by Him and His will. He is in control of this world and He is in control of our lives. Sing us together, promise maker, promise keeper. He finishes what He begins. Here we go. Promise maker, promise keeper. Finish what you begin. Our provision through the desert, you see it through till the end. You see it through till the end. The Lord our God, the Lord our God is ever faithful. Changing through the ages from this darkness, you will lead us, and forever we will say, You're the Lord our God. In the silence, in the silence, in the waiting, still we. And know you are good. All your plans, all your plans are for your glory. Yes, we can know you are good. Yes, we can know you are good. The Lord our God. 
You're the light of all and all that we need. We won't move without you. We won't move without you. You're the light of all and all that we need. We're in your hands. We won't move without you. We won't move without you. You're the light of all and all. of God has reached for me. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea and I am safe on this solid ground. The Lord is my salvation. I will not fear, I will not fear when darkness falls, His strength will help me scale these walls, I'll see the dawn of the rising sun, the Lord is my salvation, who is like the Lord our God? like the of the Lord in the land of the living. My hope is hidden in the Lord. He flowers 
ours each promise of his work when winter fades i know spring will come the lord is my salvation Psalm 37, verses 39 through 40 says, The salvation of the righteous 
is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. There is most, if not all of us in this room, as we've come in here this morning, that heavy on our mind, on our mind is that we are in need of rescue. We are in need of deliverance. And so as we think of areas of our life to where we are hopeless, to be victorious over sin, let's go to the Lord this morning, our helper, our deliverer, and pray for his supernatural hand to reach in and do what we could never do of ourselves. So right where you're at, let's seek the Lord where you're at. Ask the Lord for rescue and for deliverance and ask him with faith, knowing that he is a merciful God who desires to do that for his children. So take a minute right where you're at. this morning together we just simply cry save us rescue us Hosanna save us now thank you that you are not just a merciful God not just that you are a willing God but you are a God who is able to do that as we call to you Lord I pray this morning Lord, that you would give victory, spirit-empowered victory in our fight, in our daily fight against sin in our life. We confess those things to you. Lord, acknowledging Lord, our helplessness. Thank you for what we just read about who you are and what we have sang. Thank you that those things are true. Lord, and as we know more of who you are, Lord, we, we worship you. Lord, we seek you. The psalmist says in chapter 27 that he desires to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This is his response, saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation is that, to gaze upon you. We continue to worship you this morning. I pray that you would show us more of who you are. Show us your glory. Show us your power.
greatest treasure of our souls. Oh Lord, my rock. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Greatest treasure of my longing soul. My God, like you there is no other. True delight is found in you alone. Your grace, oh well, too deep to fathom. Your love exceeds the heavens' reach. Your truth, a fount of perfect wisdom, my highest good. My unending need. Oh Lord, my rock. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Strong defender, strong defender of my weary heart. My soul to fight the cruel deceiver and my shield against his hateful darts. My soul, my soul, when enemies surround me, my hope, my hope, when tides of sorrow rise, my joy. When trials are abounding, your faithfulness, my refuge in the night. Oh Lord, my rock and my Gracious Savior of my ruined life, my guilt and cross laid on your shoulders. In my place, you suffered, bled, and died. You rose, the grave and death are conquered. You of sin and shame. Sing out again. You rose the grave and death are conquered. You broke my bonds of sin and shame. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, may all my days bring glory to To your name, may all my days bring glory to your name. 
every day, every moment. Our lives are yours. Lord, our lives are not for just going through our week or living our normal life, but our lives are for bringing glory to our creator, our maker. Remind us of that today. Recalibrate our, our thoughts, our hearts, our desires. Lord, recalibrate them to be in line with you, with the things that you love, with the things that are glorifying to you. Our lives are yours, Lord. Thank you for your word out of Hebrews 10 today. Prepare our hearts as we hear it, or may it fall upon fertile soil, grounds that are ready to hear and to obey. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Kids can be dismissed. It is ages, is it, um, is it older or younger today? It is uh, ages 7 through 10. Ages 7 through 10 this morning. morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We know all about the hall of faith. Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith, or just as some people call it, the hall of faith. Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll begin to study that faith chapter and spend several weeks in it. Um, But This morning, uh, I want to say nothing from the Bible comes from nowhere. There's context to everything, right? That's why we study chapter by chapter, verse by verse, whole books of the Bible. Because we want to know the argument of a book, the argument of a particular passage as it sits in the surrounding context. And so Hebrews 11, which we're going into next week, is no different. That faith chapter doesn't just appear there as if the author says, well, I've I've got this really good sermon on the Old Testament. I just need to find a place to put it. No, it it builds. It's, it's It's a summary of and a culmination of and a product of the argument to the point, uh, to this point in the book, of the whole argument of the book to this point, rather. And if you know chapter 10, you're going to understand why chapter 11 is there. And you may have left last week. Last week was a hard text. It was a hard word that we studied from the Lord, a a word of warning. 
Uh, and we finished by saying, look, this is necessary for us. Like Moses' song, Moses said, this word is no idle word for you. It is your very life that by doing it, you may live long. So it was hard, but it was necessary. And you may have been wondering when you left, well, what is the answer? Right? I know like we tried to tie a little bit of a bow on it, but there's only so much bow that you can tie on a passage like that. But this week, I pray, will provide some relief to those questions. So it's the text that we're coming to is situated at the end of what we talked about last week, and it's introducing what we're going to talk about next week. There's context. And so you may have left saying, well, what is the, I don't want to fall away. What's the alternative? Well, not falling away, of course. That's the surface answer. Just don't fall away. Well, how? Like, how do I not fall away? How do I not fall into the hands of the living God? And today's text, if you'll look at verse 39, that's going to be our main verse, our key verse for today. It presents faith, faith as the alternative to falling away. And that's kind of our main point today. Faith is the alternative to falling away. Um, if you need a handout, we've got some in the back. Just go grab one. T today's sermon is seven points. You, you may want an outline. <laughs> and if we run out, I've got one on the copier. Uh, I'm just going to trust one of our people, one of our good people will just go back there and make some copies and cut them up for us. Uh, we, we can for sure make sure that that happens. Um, so... Um, also, Alex, can you, at the end of Hebrews 10, can you pull up Psalm 19 for us? So what we do here is we stand in honor of the reading of God's word. So in just a second, I'm going to ask you to do that. Uh, and then uh, you can go ahead. And do that. That's fine. Go ahead. Some people have already stood up. Just go ahead and stand up. So we're going we're gonna to read this passage. And then I want us to read out loud Psalm 19, uh, a, a very large chunk of Psalm 19. Because we say, thanks be to God for his word, and rightly so. Uh, and I just want to remind us what the word of God is and how precious a treasure it is to us. So that when we say, thanks be to God, we're saying that with the full view of, of, of the word, as full of, as we can have. So, okay, Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read verses 32 through 39. And then I'm going to jump to Psalm 19. And I just want us to read, almost as a response to this, I want us to read that. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So we're going to jump to Psalm 19. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. We're going to read through the end of the psalm, verse 14. 
I'm going to read in the ESV. If you have a copy, you're welcome to just read out of your Bible. Here we go. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, your word is better than the best of what this world has to offer. It is to be desired more than riches, more than pleasures, and more than anything else. We freely confess that we have not always desired your word in the measure that it would demand of us, that it would require simply by being your word. So God, forgive us. I pray that you would warn us by your word, that you would encourage us toward the reward, toward the joy that is set before us. And we believe, God, that what your word says about itself is true. And so help us to give it the place that it deserves in our lives, in our families, in our place of employment, in our relationships, in our church, and in this world. Help us to be a people who treasure and tremble at your word. Make us more into the image of your beloved son through the time that we spend together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Okay. So as we said, the main point, faith is the alternative to falling away. Okay? So if that's true, I want to spend our time together studying seven things about faith. Seven things that this text teaches about faith. Some of them will be obvious to your eye, and some of them we have to dig a little bit more for, but all of them are vital and 
I believe all of them are actually going to be reflected in some way in Hebrews 11. So one of these is simply going to be like faith is looking to the reward. There's literally a verse in Hebrews 11 that says he was looking to the reward. Okay, so we just I believe we're going to see a lot of this like primer on Hebrews 11 this week. But we're also going to see how it relates to last week. So the first thing, number one, faith endures hardship. Faith endures hardship. As our author seeks to encourage the church or the the people, these these Hebrews, um, in a present hardship, whatever it is, we're not completely certain what it is. We believe that, uh, as we've talked about before, that they were probably under the threat of persecution and there was pressure both probably from their families and from the government to turn back to the state-sanctioned religion of Judaism, okay? They could get relief from the persecution, relief from the suffering if they would go back. But our author has been taking pains to tell them, look what you give up when you go back. You give up the only hope that humanity has. Don't fall away. Don't turn back. Okay, so as he is encouraging them in the present hardship that calls for endurance in faith... He reminds them that they have already endured suffering for Jesus. Look what it says. Recall the former days, the first days, the previous time when after you were enlightened. So this is between the present time and the time when they became believers. And this probably occurred pretty soon after they became believers. But whenever it was, we know this was when they were trusting Christ. He says, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. That word struggle is where we get our term athlete from. It's related to that. So it's it's like a wrestling match with suffering everywhere. Like they're wrestling through the concept and the reality and the experience of suffering. And he explains what it is, sometimes being publicly exposed. That word, I'm I'm not always about uh, just trying to give you Greek words, but like when Greek words kind of match up with our words, I think it's helpful. The word there is theatrizo, theatrics. It's like a theater. They made a public spectacle, like they brought them to the theater. And they showed off their persecution of the Christians. It says you were publicly exposed to reproach, to shame, to dishonor, and affliction. And and if you weren't, verse 13, sometimes you were just partners with those so treated. Publicly mocked, publicly abused, publicly mistreated and threatened as a theatric spectacle to all the world, for all the world to see. Um, so, you know, maybe the, maybe the government wanted to make an example of the Christians so that no other people would convert to that. Those people that call Jesus and not Caesar Lord. Like, let's, let's try to keep them from growing. Or maybe it was just an example to the Christians who were there to try to intimidate them into silence. Right? Whatever it was, it was very public. Intentionally so. This is what happens to those who won't bow the knee to Caesar. We also find out in the verses to follow that they were imprisoned and they had their property plundered, stolen, confiscated. So they're suffering economically, physically, 
socially, emotionally, and relationally, right? You just think about the dad in the family, the breadwinner in the family is arrested for his faith. How the church, and even more, how his family would suffer from that. There's a relational suffering that's taking place in the midst of all this. Here's the reality. Hardship will come. Sufferings will happen. 2 Timothy 3.12. So if you have one of the um, outlines, uh, this week we're actually referencing so many of them that I just put a list of the references. I didn't actually list out the the verses themselves. And also, you're going to notice on the back, Somehow they ended up upside down, like that's whatever. Something ended up upside down. I'm really sorry about that. It won't happen again uh, unless it does. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, we've studied this a few years ago. Paul says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay? At some point, your pursuit of righteousness will bump up against the unrighteousness that the world loves and you will be hated for it. Okay? Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 20 through 28. Hardship, suffering, it will come. We can just bank on it coming. Matthew 10, verse 20. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother, will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns in Israel before the son of man comes. A disciple is not above his his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his master. What does that mean? Jesus suffered, so will we. We're gonna be like Jesus, we're gonna suffer like Jesus. We're gonna share his sufferings. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebul, basically calling Jesus a demon, how much more will they malign those of his household? His conclusion to all this, so have no fear of them. (laughs) For nothing that is covered will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear, whisper, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Suffering will come. Hardship will come. We know it. The question is, what is it that helps the people of God endure when suffering comes? What brings them through? It's faith. Like only if we believe God's promises about the future will we be found willing to give up comfort now, here. And that's what he's reminding them of. Remember how your faith carried you through, caused you to endure this struggle with sufferings. Faith endures hardship. That's the first thing that we see. The second thing, here's one that we kind of have to dig a little bit more for. It's not, it's not found, like it's not explicitly found here, but I, I believe it's there. Faith yields the fruit of the Spirit. Right. 
Faith not only got them to the other side of suffering, but their faith caused them to thrive spiritually in the midst of suffering. Like the description here leaves no doubt of the Spirit's work. Like his, the Spirit of God's fingerprints are all over the character traits that we see that he's commending them for and reminding them of. Look, uh, it leaves no doubt of his work in this faith community because we see love. Right? In the fact that he says, you were partners with those who were mistreated. In other words, you weren't ashamed to associate with them while they were being imprisoned, treated severely, beaten, mocked, reviled. You were partners with them. You did not disown your faith family. That's love. We see joy. We'll do more on that in just a minute. But joyfully, it says right here. Patience, which is the endurance of suffering. Compassion. You had compassion on those. You were kind to those brothers and sisters of yours who were put in prison. Why? For the name of Jesus, for the sake of their confession of their faith. They were put in prison and you went and visited them. You had compassion on them. You were faithful. Right? Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. They continued to believe. They persisted in suffering. And they had self-control. They did not allow themselves, when they were hurting, like literally smarting from maybe beatings, when their egos were wounded, their pride was whatever it is, when they were hurting, they didn't turn back. They kept going. That takes self-control. So we see love. We see kindness, uh, compassion. We see uh, patience, faithfulness, self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit at work in the community of faith during suffering. So it's not just that their faith caused them to white-knuckle it all the way to the other side so that they can start thriving. Their faith is producing this in them in the midst of their suffering. Right? Faith yields the fruit of the Spirit in the midst of difficult situations. And, and I believe we need to be encouraged by three things. Um, as, as they're remaining partners with their brothers and sisters, right? I mean, you just, all that we've said, right, in the past few weeks about how important, how vital the gathering of it, how, how we ought to prioritize, uh, not just in our calendars, but in our hearts, the people of God, okay? Number one, what we can be encouraged with, uh, with these things, is Christ suffered at the hands of sinners for the sake of his bride. When we suffer, we are being like him, right? It's, we're becoming like our master. We're becoming like our teacher when we suffer. We are being conformed, Paul says, to his death in Philippians 3. We're sharing in his sufferings. And Christ... The second thing that we need to be encouraged by, first of all, this, this idea that when we suffer, we're suffering with Christ. We are being like him in his sufferings, conformed to his image in every way, not just in the ones that go on a coffee mug way, right? Like every way, the suffering kind of ways. And the other two things, Christ so identifies with his church that those persecuting the church are actually persecuting Christ himself. Acts chapter 9, verse 4. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? 
That's not what Jesus says. He shows up, knocks Paul off of his high horse. Why are you persecuting me? Look at the identification of Christ with his people. How closely. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Okay? So closely identifies with his people that those persecuting him are going to be found on the last day having persecuted Jesus himself. And the other thing, the flip side of that coin is Christ so identifies with his church that those who are going and visiting their brothers and sisters in prison, not disowning them, but showing compassion and love toward them, they're actually serving Christ himself. Matthew 25. This is a rather long quotation. I intend to read the whole thing. The final judgment is my heading here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, they're surprised at this, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, they're surprised as well. Jesus, if you had showed up, we would have done it for you. When did we see you naked and not clothed you? When did we see you hungry and not feed you? You can, here, here's a roll. I got a roll right here. Like, here's a Lara bar. Like, have it. It's too late. Because he, he looks at them. The king looks at them, answers them, 45, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The identification of Christ with his people is such that we get the privilege of joining him in his sufferings, that those who persecute us are persecuting Christ himself, and that when we serve the body and show compassion and love to one another, we are serving Christ our King. Faith yields the fruit of the Spirit. So they can, we can simultaneously take heart in the Spirit's work in us and in our love for one another, which bears witness to a love for Jesus himself. This is what faith does. Faith yields the fruit of the Spirit in us, and it reminds us of the identification of Christ with his body. The third thing that faith does is faith looks to the reward. Faith looks to the reward, verses 34 and 35. 
You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew you had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. These people had joy, another fruit of the Spirit. They had joy when their stuff was stolen. Now, I don't think that they're like standing at the threshold of their home, like dancing a jig, saying, yeah, don't forget that one too. Like, take the TV, please. Like, it's not that. I don't think that they're necessarily glad in the plundering of their stuff so much as they're so glad in Jesus their stuff doesn't matter. Do you see the difference? Because like you could be, you could, you could renounce all of your worldly possessions and go live like a monk in the desert on top of a pole Right? And not love Jesus. Right? But you, like, it's the joy in Christ that so outstrips everything else that when people steal your stuff, you're like, that was just stuff. I have the one thing nobody can take from me. They knew. It says, you know. You yourselves knew that you had what? A better possession. Better than a television, better than a house, better than a car, better than anything. That possession is better and it's abiding, which means it lasts. Your car can wreck. Your house can burn. Don't we know houses can burn down, right? This, 1 Peter 1, just 1 Peter 1, come on, here we go. I could say it, but why should I say it? When it said so much better in 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, 4. You've been born again, verse 3 says, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? To an inheritance, a possession that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You have a better possession and an abiding one. That has relativized in their thinking and in their hearts. It has relativized stuff. It's cured them from stuffitis. Why? Why? Here's why. Here's, I believe this is why. It's because long before this plundering happened, right here in Hebrews 10, the same joy that they felt in Christ had caused them, spiritually speaking, to sell everything. Look at Matthew chapter 13. These parables of the kingdom of God, and maybe you know where I'm going with this. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Why would he cover it up? Well, because what happens next? Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field. And what does he get? The treasure. They sold their stuff long ago. And so what's happening in Hebrews 10 when their stuff is plundered is that that trade was made in the former days. They have renounced it all 
because of the joy that they have in Christ. So when their stuff was physically carried out of their house, what could take that joy away from them? What could interfere with that joy? Here and now, things are difficult. Persecution, imprisonment, death, economic ruin, social ostracism, thieves, wildfires, illness, and hurts of various sorts. But faith, faith trains us to zoom out of the here and now to an eternal perspective. Faith reminds us that there's more than what we can see, that there's more to life than these 70 or 80 feeble years spent in a fallen world after which we're going to give it all away anyway. I mean, the truth is your stuff is going to be taken at one point or another. You'll either voluntarily give it up, relinquish it spiritually to gain Christ, renouncing your claim on it now, or you'll give it up at death. You'll be made to let go of it when your hand can no longer grasp it. You can relinquish it now or later. Give it now so that Christ can be all in all. Have him as your eternal treasure. Faith trains us to anchor ourselves in the life to come. It lifts our gaze past the present sufferings in this life. And it it causes us to look up to the joy set before us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We're going to get there. Hopefully this year. (laughs) Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. There was joy. There was a reward on the other side of the cross. And he fixed his gaze on that reward. And he endured the worst suffering that any human being has or ever will endure for that joy. We endure by looking to the reward. Faith looks to the reward. Faith makes us endure for the joy set before us. Matthew chapter 6. I know we are, we are flipping around a lot. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? Brothers and sisters, where are your hearts? 
Is your heart anchored in the here and now? Or is it anchored in eternity? Spiritual maturity in the faith requires us to look beyond the present moment and into eternity as we count the cost of following Christ. Faith looks to the reward. Uh, uh, Verse 35, faith results in a great reward. It doesn't just look to the reward. It gets us there. It, It brings us to it. What does verse 35 say? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. He's telling them, don't cast off, don't cut off, don't throw away their confidence. Don't give it up. Don't, I mean, we've said it, it's cliche, but like, don't stop believing. He tells them their confidence has a mega reward. He is arguing much in the manner of Jesus in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, where Jesus is giving the Beatitudes and he ends it with maybe the most backward of all of the Beatitudes. They're all kind of upside down and backward, teaching about the kingdom of God. But then he says, blessed are you when others persecute you and revile you and utter all kinds of insults uh, of you on my account. Yes, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. Like that's... That is a verse that I believe is summing up like everything that's happening in Hebrews at the end of Hebrews 10 right here, right? Like rejoice and be glad because when you're persecuted in this way, it is evident to your heart that your reward is great. And it's not gonna prove false for you. It's not gonna feel a whole lot like a big reward right now. But faith results in a great reward. When you are faced with trials, you have a choice. right? You can continue in joyful confidence or you can throw that confidence away. And in throwing that confidence away, you might get relief from the present circumstance for a moment. But you give up an eternal reward for momentary relief. That's a terrible trade. That's an Esau kind of trade. Right, we're going we're gonna to get there again, Hebrews 12, 16. Right, he doesn't want them to be unholy or immoral like Esau, who did what? We studied this last year. He sold his birthright for a single meal. That is short-sighted. Let me plead with you from both sides. Don't give up eternal reward for momentary relief. And... Continue looking to the reward that's ahead of you, namely Jesus. You, when you endure, you get Christ. You get eternal life knowing him, fellowshipping with him and his people beyond the reach of sin, death, and the curse. There is eternal joy ahead. Strive for it. Don't throw away your confidence because it leaves you there. It has a great reward if you persist in faith. Verse 36, faith does the will of God and receives what he has promised. Faith does the will of God and receives what he has promised. Um, So it both is God's will that we believe in his son, Jesus. It's like faith is God's will. He wants us to believe in his son. 
But then faith doesn't stop at just believing in this. And it actually causes us to do God's will. So having faith is doing God's will, but then faith obeys it more and more. And here's the reality. We've talked about this already this morning. Sometimes it is God's will that we suffer for righteousness. 1 Peter 3, verses 14 through 17, teach us that clearly. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Norby, do you hear a theme in all of this? Like how many verses between Jesus and Paul and Peter and Hebrews like just have this accord? It's like, it's like there was this like great mind behind the whole thing, huh? Um, sorry. Uh, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. Can we talk about this? Sometimes it is God's will that we suffer. And sometimes it is God's will that we suffer for loving God. There is, there is a prosperity movement that we should loathe and abominate that says, if you love God, your kids won't get sick. Your relatives won't die. You're going to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And then I have a first Peter telling me that sometimes it's God's will that we suffer for loving God. It's false doctrine. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Stay far away. If that should be God's will, it's better to suffer for righteousness than for doing what's evil. And chapter 4, verse 19 of 1 Peter. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust, there's trust, faith, continue to believe, entrust themselves, their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What is your response when you suffer for righteousness? Are you going to say, well, I just need to stop doing these righteous things and I'll stop suffering. That's one way you could do it. I'm arguing with the Bible. That's a bad trade. On the other hand, you could say, no, I know God has purposes in this and I'm going to continue pursuing righteousness because it's right, because it pleases my Father who's in heaven. I'm going to continue pursuing righteousness no matter the cost. I'm going to entrust myself to him while doing good. Right? Jesus says it is those who do God's will who will enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father. Like it's not words. 
It's not just calling him Lord. It's the genuine reality of bowing to him as Lord. Faith. It's faith. Doing the will of God is faith. Faith does the will of God. Uh, Earlier in Hebrews 6.12, at the end of that warning passage, the author says his intent is to call them to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So he's saying faith is going to do the will of God. And because of that faith, we're going to receive everything God has promised us. We're going to enter the kingdom. We're going to have Christ forever. No sin, no tears, no death, no need. Christ will be all. After we do the will of God, we will receive what is promised. Faith inherits the promises. Faith is the instrument by which we take hold of God's promises, and it is through our faith in Him that we inherit all that He has promised. So if what faith does is it sees and hears God's promises, it believes them and thus receives everything He's told his people he would be and give in his word. Faith does the will of God and receives what he has promised. Uh, 37 and 38, faith is counted as our righteousness before God. This was true for Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Rahab and Ruth and David and Samuel, Peter, James, John, Stephen and every other person who has ever been accounted righteous before God. Romans 4, 23 through 25. But the words... It was counted to him, that's Genesis 15, 6, if you're keeping score. Uh, It was counted to him, which is when Abraham believes God, and it's credited to him as righteousness. So the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification He quotes Habakkuk here, the Septuagint version of Habakkuk. Um, And he says, my righteous one will live by faith. By faith. Righteousness comes from faith. No one is righteous. No, not one. But those who believe in God, who justifies the ungodly, have their faith counted in his sight as righteousness. I mean, Philippians 3, 8 and 9, Paul talks about the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He doesn't want his own righteousness. He wants an alien righteousness. Galatians chapter 3, Paul is going to talk about righteousness counted to us by faith. Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14, they read this way. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified, made righteous, by, uh, before God by the law. For 
quotes Habakkuk. The righteous will live by faith. This was like Martin Luther's like basically conversion that, that kicked off the Protestant Reformation came from studying like Galatians and Romans and getting thrown back to Habakkuk. My righteous one shall live by faith. The just will live by faith. Like that, in some degree, that verse is why we're here today. Like praise God for the recovery of justification by faith alone. She says, the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And then Romans 4, 16. The confluence of the promises and God's grace and faith. The reason why God structured the promises to be received by faith. Look, 4.16. That is why it, the promises, depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only the adherent of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. His promises are all of grace and therefore received by faith. Faith is counted as righteousness before God for us and praise the Lord for that. Like that's the gospel. You believe in Jesus, you're righteous before God. And in 38 and 39, faith preserves our souls. Faith preserves our souls, right? We, we spent the last point emphasizing the words by faith. Now I want to emphasize the word live, right? The righteous will live by faith. Right? It says those who have faith preserve their souls, Faith causes the righteous to inherit God's kingdom and the eternal life that's available to us in Christ. Hebrews 3, 12 says, Take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. We, we referenced that last week. It is those who don't believe, unbelieving hearts fall away. And they're destroyed. They shrink back in the words of verse 39. They shrink back. They fall away. They're destroyed. When persecution and suffering comes, they run. They don't push forward. And it says, not only, he says, if he shrinks back, 38, my soul has no pleasure in him. And those who shrink back, 39, are destroyed. They throw away their confidence. They shrink back in fear and timidity. They do not do the will of God. They do not endure hardships. They do not receive what is promised. They prove never to have had faith in the first place. But those who have not evil, unbelieving hearts, but those who have righteous, believing hearts will persevere, endure, do the will of God, bear the fruit of the Spirit, hold fast their confidence, receive a great reward, please God, and will ultimately preserve their souls. It's all about faith. Vital living faith is the difference between falling away and holding fast. With it, we are secure in Christ and will be preserved by God and will persevere in troubles. 
believer? Believe. Believe. Unbeliever. Someone who's here and doesn't trust Christ? Repent of your sins and trust Jesus. Preserve your soul. There is no other means for the preservation of your soul. It is only faith in only Christ, only by the grace of God. Don't fall away. Don't shrink back. Believe. So next week, we're going to begin a deep dive into what faith is, why it matters, and what it looked like uh, in the people of God from ancient times. But let me close with this call not to lose heart, throw away your confidence, or shrink back, but endure in faith. I'm going to read one more passage from 1 Peter to you. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 11, as we close. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan has purposes in your suffering. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Please equip us, grow us in our faith, strengthen us to endure suffering, not to shrink back, but to be of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Help us to see the great reward that our faith has. Help us to look to the great reward that is coming for those who believe. Help us to do your will. Help us to endure suffering and persevere. Help us to bear the fruit of the Spirit in the midst of it. And in all things, may we bring glory and honor to your name as we await all that you've promised. Let your grace be toward your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. We turn our attention to the table of the Lord now. Um, This is one of the ways that the people of God respond to the word. It is a table that commends faith to us, is it not? It's it's like eating and drinking. Simple. Faith takes hold of all that God's promised, just like your hand takes hold of and brings the elements of the table in. Faith is like eating and drinking. Um, And this table is only to be eaten of and drunk of in faith. So this is a table that commends faith to us, and it's a table table that also um, requires faith of us. So if you're not a believer in Christ, if you've not surrendered, yielded yourself to Jesus, submitted yourself to him as Lord, um, 
don't come to the table. Take Jesus instead. Repent and believe. Repent of your sins. Trust him. I would love to point you in that direction if you want to come down and pray. Um, Use this time to examine yourself. I hope and pray that there were places in which today's sermon has encouraged you and called forth faith from you all the more. And maybe there are places that have convicted you um, as they've convicted me, even in the process of preaching these things. Um, This is the time that we've set aside for you to repent, to do this business with God where you say, I feel this conviction and I know that is your invitation, Spirit, to me to repent, to turn away from those things and to trust you all the more. So I want to walk in that. If that describes you, then you're welcome at the table. People who know that Jesus is Lord, they trust his once for all sacrifice. They've repented of their sins. They're willing to repent of all of their known sins and they want uh, to walk in full obedience with Christ. This table is open for you. So eat and drink in faith and know that Christ, our Savior, is present among us, inviting you in, holding you fast, nourishing you, and and giving you everything that you need. Um, If you want to pray, I would love to pray with you down front as well. You can come and kneel. um, Just express worship as the Lord directs your heart. Um, But examine yourself and so eat and drink of the table. Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Father, do your work in your people. Call faith forth from us. Fill us with great confidence in Jesus and his sacrifice for us and his resurrection. Minister to our hearts as we repent um, and and we, um, we walk out the conviction that you've worked in our hearts. Thank you for the gift of conviction. Thank you for the gift of repentance and the gift of faith. Just build up our church, please, in these moments. Nourish our souls through Christ, we pray. Amen. Tables open.
Your grace is more where grace is found is where you are where you Christ in me, where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. my soul to rise to you when temptation comes my way when I cannot stand I fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay when I cannot stand I fall on you You're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my again we remember that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's eat together says in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me let's drink he says for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes amen uh, let's spend a moment praying for the people of Wardville that God would give them
this type of faith about which we've discussed, or which we've discussed, about which we've talked today. Uh, would, you, uh, would you spend a moment praying for that? Maybe pick one of the points from the outline, points that we talked about. Ask that God would raise that up in the hearts of, of people here in Wardville. is the only means of the preservation of the soul there is no other means that you have provided by which our souls might be preserved there is no name under heaven no other name given whereby men might be saved and so we ask that you through the preaching and teaching of your gospel would raise up faith in the hearts of the people that surround our building who desperately need you and with uh, and without you they they will not preserve their souls so god give them that kind of faith as a gift and use our church to bring that message to them to fill up what is lacking in christ's afflictions to bring the message of the gospel to their ears so that they can be saved by his all-sufficient sacrifice. Show us the way forward and help us, please, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Um, I've, got, uh, I've got five announcements. Number one, at 6.30 this Wednesday night, the men will be gathering at Evan Stewart's house. That is 107 Lakeshore Cove. Yeah, that is an important distinction because if you go to Lakeshore Drive, you'll be at Mike Branham's house and you and Bonnie can hang out. But if you want to hang out with Mike, he's going to be at 107 Lakeshore Cove. So please go Lakeshore Cove, uh, 6.30. Enchilada night. Um, so it's going to be a Mexican theme. I'll be making guacamole. Just think about what you're going to bring. Um, so that's happening 6.30 p.m. Uh, next Sunday, 4 to 6 is the first Sunday of our parenting class. If you haven't gotten your $15 to joy, please do so as soon as possible. Uh, September the 17th is the baby dedication. If you're interested in being part of that, you can contact Rebecca Christian, our assistant children's minister. And then uh, I believe is... Derek, help me. Is it September the 12th? Is that the, uh, the pro-life dinner? Okay. Okay, it's all Aaron. Okay. So there is a pro-life dinner that is happening 
around September the 12th. That's the estimated date of the banquet. Uh, and she is looking to get 100 volunteers for that. So if you are interested in any way in doing that, you can talk to Derek and he can point you to his wife. You can talk to me and I will communicate with, uh, with Aaron as well, those things. It's the 12th. I was right. Can we, can, we just, can we just take a minute and remember this time I was right about something? All right. Uh, then the last thing is, uh, is a little bit of a more serious one. So uh, Josh Barrett is one of our elders. Uh, he also plays the bass. Um, he, is, uh, he has been an elder faithfully serving in our church for between eight and nine years. Uh, and at six years, I got a sabbatical. At five years, no, I'm sorry, at seven years, Kevin got a sabbatical. Uh, and Josh needs a rest. He just needs a rest to circle the wagons with his family, uh, to lead well, uh, Lord willing to prepare him for the long term of ministry in our church. And so we're going to take the loss in the short term to give him till the end of the year so that we have him for the long term and he doesn't burn out. Um, the, the burden of pastoral ministry in the church is a heavy one. And uh, I am grateful to report that there is no character deficiency whatsoever that has caused this sabbatical to take place. It is actually uh, quite the opposite. It's a, a righteous impulse to, to do his work in his job well, to do the more important work of leading his family well, and then hopefully in the long term to serve our church faithfully uh, into the future. So uh, we were glad to give him that sabbatical, although we'll be sad to see him leave for that little bit of time. Uh, but Lord willing, starting in January, he will step back in to that capacity as an elder. So if you have any more questions about that, I would encourage you to talk to Josh or Wendy, his wife. Um, and what I would love to do is gather them together right now, and I would just love to pray for them as a church. So Josh, Wendy, would y'all come down front, and, uh, and we just want to lay hands on you guys and pray for you. Pray the Lord's mercy and rest in this season of sabbatical for them.